the religious worldview is that there is a oneness, a wholeness. New Age philosophy is the same and confessional Christianity. There's a, there's a wholeness, an undivided nature of reality that, that we come from and that we can go back to. But that's what I'm saying that I reject. Welcome to The Fall Estate. I am Destiny Peterson. Don't forget that The Fall Estate is on Patreon. So click the Patreon link in the description to support our work. Thank you. Hola. Gracias. So I have a philosopher with me, Peter Rawlings. He is an Irish philosopher and author of Insurrection and the Divine Magician. Peter, thank you for coming. Thank you very much for having me. I totally appreciate it. And so you were walking down the road one day and decided that you wanted to become a philosopher. <laughs> That's what it ha It's like a, a light from the sky. It's like a <laughs> conversion experience. <laughs> yeah. And so what is a philosopher? Uh, that's a good question. By the way, I was saying to you earlier, having a philosopher on a show is the worst thing for your ratings. Oh, We're yeah. boring. We're, you know, it's, it's uh, uh, <laughs> I do you know what happens if you meet a group of philosophers what? down a dark alleyway late at night? What? They make you an offer you can't understand. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so a philosopher... Um, Amazing. Yeah, is basically just someone who's a professional thinker. We try to think through the nature of reality, what it is to be human, uh, what it is to exist. We might talk about ethics. We might talk about um, uh, God. We might talk about um, the nature of life. But philosophers basically are people who think instead of work. We're a lazy bunch. And so they, they try to figure out life in their own minds? Yes. Really? Yeah. They try to figure out life in their own mind. Try to figure out life in their, yes, using reason to think about what life is about, yes. Really? Broadly speaking. Love of wisdom, it means love of wisdom. So it's, it's people who love to think and to reflect. And where does the wisdom come from? Out of their own mind as well? Yeah, philosophers generally start with thoughts. Uh, a physicist starts with reality. A right. biologist right. starts with animals. Uh, a philosopher starts with an idea. Really? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so you are an, Ar an Irish philosopher. An Irish philosopher. So, so you live in the States now? Yeah. You live over here. What made you decide to move to the States? Well, it's a crazy story. Uh, I was a writer. I had written a few books. And a family who liked my work, uh, they had a foundation. And they said, we would like to be your patron. We'd like you to come to America and spend a few years writing oh. and thinking, and we'll support you. And so I said no for a year. I wasn't sure whether I should do it. Uh, and they kept insisting there were no strings attached. Just right. come to America, do your work. And, uh, and so I did. Moved really? to America. And, and how long have you been in this country? Like 10 years. 10 years. I mean, you like it over here? I do. I love it. Well, I'm actually from Little Rock, Arkansas. I just put this accent on. Oh, you did? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and so you, um, you like it in America. What's the difference between uh, uh, living in over there as opposed to living here in Ireland? Well, it's a lot rainier in Ireland. It's a lot of green, a lot of rain. Oh, yeah. This is beautiful weather in right. Los Angeles. Um, but, yeah, I love America. It's, you know, it's, it's not that different, especially I lived in New York briefly or just outside New York. And New Yorkers are very like the Irish. They're oh. fighters, you know. They're tough. Uh, and so I felt culturally at home. In oh, L.A., man. people are nicer. 
yeah. which is also nice. <laughs> right on. Yeah. In Boston, it feels like I'm in a home from home. There's more Irish in Boston than there are back in Ireland. Really? I think so. Do they have black people in Ireland? Yeah, it's not a, a massive population. I don't know what the percentage is, but... Uh, and where did they come from? I don't know. I should know. <laughs> I could make it up, but I'm not sure. <laughs> right. And you also say that you are the divine musician. Or magician. I mean, musician. Uh, musician. What is that? The idea. So a magic trick basically has three parts. Right. If I want to make something disappear, like this ring, right? I show you the ring, right. and that's, that's called the pledge. And then I make the ring disappear. I'm not going to do that now, but that's the turn, the disappearance. Right. And then the prestige of a trick is when the trick, the, the ring magically appears. I take it from behind your ear, and right. that's the prestige. Yeah. Um, and in the book, I argue that Christianity has the same structure as a magic trick. There is something that has to be made to disappear in our lives, and I call this a sacred object. It's an object that you think will bring wholeness and completeness to your life, right? In LA, everybody's seeking wholeness and completeness. Have enough money, enough fame, do the right yoga poses, do CrossFit, whatever it is. Right. I want to find the answer. And this tyranny of happiness, this tyranny of seeking satisfaction, seeking something that will fix everything, devastates us. It makes our lives horrific. And I argue in the book that that has to be made to disappear. And then the third part of the magic trick is when the sacred appears again, but not as an object that you love, but as a depth dimension in the act of love itself. Oh, okay. So I basically argue that Christianity uh, has this idea that you can't really love God as an object, but rather when you love, you love God through the act of love itself. And so that's the argument of the book. Can you love without loving God? I would say, yeah, love is, um, uh, yeah, in fact, that's the interesting thing in the Bible where it talks about if you love your neighbor, you love God. Right. So it's not even that. In fact, if you hate your neighbor and you say you love God, it says you're a liar. Right. So there's this idea. At first, it says earlier on in the Bible, you should love God and love your neighbor. And then later on, it says, you know what? If you just love your neighbor... You are loving God. So I do think that there's a central idea in Christianity that in loving others, we are doing something that is uh, the heartbeat of Christianity. So as a philosopher, do you believe that you can love without loving God? You can love your neighbor without loving God? Well, in this sense, not really, because every time you love your neighbor, that is you loving God. But which come first, loving God or loving the neighbor? See, I would, by making that distinction, that's almost like saying heat and light, which came first. But heat and light are intimately intertwined. It's like saying, uh, in seeking and finding, you know, that's that verse, if you seek, you will find. Naturally, we think, if I seek something, I've lost it, and I'll find it. But actually, in the verse, it says, in seeking, you are finding. So it's more like in knocking the doors open and seeking, you're finding. Uh, in looking you're receiving. So in a similar way, I want to kind of go, no, it's like heat and light. I don't know if it's like a chicken and egg, which came first. It's when you love, you are in, in sync with, with the divine or the absolute. And I'm, I'm, I'm real interested uh -huh. in what you're doing because I've been reading over your stuff. Um, and I'm black and I'm slow. Did you hear about that? I heard, I heard you were black. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
So can you love your neighbor without loving God first? Mm -hmm. Do you love your neighbor without loving God? Can you have heat without light? Is that a yes or no? It's the same as heat and light. I would say that, that to love your neighbor is the expression of loving God. So is God the light or the heat? Oh, yeah. Is God the light or the heat? Well, here's the funny thing. I'll say this, and this will be even worse. Right? You're talking to philosophy. Everything I say is going to get even more weird. Um, I, although I'm a Christian, I'm not a confessional Christian, which means, it, for me, I'm not interested so much in the idea of God or beliefs. You're not interested in the idea of God? Well, here's the thing. A lot of Christianity today is about believing, say, in God or believing in certain things about the world. In my view, we don't know what we believe. I find this very bizarre that actually most of us are unaware of our beliefs. We might say we believe in God, but we don't, or we might say we don't, but we do. We might say that we love ourselves, we might hate ourselves. We might say that we believe that we love our parents when we actually resent them. Right. And for me, Christianity is less about getting the right beliefs, and it's more about you coming to see what your beliefs are. So you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So Jesus was never interested in you know, giving a sermon about what to believe. He seemed more interested in helping people come to know themselves, come to know their beliefs. Right. Because our beliefs, I think, are hidden from us. It takes years to know what you believe. People say they don't believe in ghosts, but as soon as the lights are out <laughs> and they hear a tapping at the window, they've, right, got, their, right. <laughs> they've got their cover over their, their head, you know. And so is God the light or the heat? Will you, you say the light and the heat. Okay. Which one is God, he the light or the heat? Yeah. Well, see, we have to talk about him, what, what God, what we mean by the word God. Um, so for me as a Christian, I don't believe in God, I believe in the death of God. Right? Everyone believes in God, especially in L.A., through a stone, everyone believes in God. But Christianity is a belief in the death of God. That's what's central to Christianity for me. That's the Apostle Paul says, there's something central about God dying. And that's what I hang my faith on and kind of like trying to unpick what does that concept mean because theists don't like it because they say God can't die God's eternal God's everlasting so God can't die and atheists don't like it because they say God's a fiction God's not real so God right. can't die but then in the gospels or sorry Paul after the gospels he writes that there's something about God dying that is central to salvation and what I take that to mean is that God is in conflict with God's self. There's something, whenever Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God experiences this absence of God. And that's a reflection that reality itself is divided. This is an expression that anything we think will make us whole and complete won't, because even God is divided. Even God is not at one with God's self. And so for me, Christianity at its core is about experiencing that gap within God, being freed from the pursuit of wholeness and completeness, certainty and satisfaction, and being able to embrace conflict and sacrifice and struggle. So that's, that's for me what Christianity is. You, uh, uh, and so if I'm, I want to make sure I'm hearing you right. Yes, yes. Um, can you love your neighbor without loving God first? Okay. Yes. You can? Okay. So you're talking about God as a being and it's like a supreme being. That's your, or what's your notion of God? When you say God, what do you mean? 
you know in the scriptures where it says, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As a philosopher, do you believe that a person can love their neighbor and not love God, or love their neighbor before they love God? Okay. Do you believe that that's possible? Well, see, okay, I'll say this. See what you think about this, right? <laughs> um, I think it's idolatry to say God is an object. So to say God is a thing in the world, like, like this copper, like you or me, is to misunderstand God. So to make God an object that you love, I think is idolatry. But to love, just to love whether you love your neighbor, you love your work, but genuine love isn't genuine sacrifice, dying to yourself, giving yourself to someone else. In doing that, God is affirmed. So yes, the only way to affirm God is through the act of love. And I'll say that then, if you try to just love God but not love your neighbor, you're a liar. You can't love God without, if you don't love your neighbor. But you can love your neighbor and not love God. No, you can't. If oh, you okay. love your neighbor, I think you're oh, I loving you. God. Yeah. Um, so you are a Christian. Yes, but not confessionally Christian. Not confessionally? Confessionally, yes. Yeah. So it, my Christianity is not about beliefs, as I say, like confessing certain beliefs. Oh. For me, Christianity is about a way of being in the world, a way of loving, a way of interacting with others. And so I'm really interested in Christianity as, as a way of, a way of like existing with one another. Oh, I see. Yeah. And so do you figure out God in your own mind when you do your, your philosopher thinking? Are you figuring out God? No, because yeah, in one sense, the word God is interesting because God, by definition, is a word that describes something that cannot be figured out. It's a weird word. Because it's the one word for, to describe something that is so vast and infinite that we cannot grasp it. So are you trying to learn his ways in your mind? Um, my interest is in the particularly Christian notion of God as a God that dies. What does that mean? So I am interested in the different concepts of God. So there's basically God as a supreme being. So God as a supreme being is mighty, all strong, all powerful. Then there's the mystical God who is beyond being. So the mystics talk about a God who transcends all of our understanding. So we cannot even, every time we speak of God, we have to also remind ourselves that what we're saying is not correct. Uh, they call it denomination. So to name God is to nominate God, and you have to immediately denominate God by saying that God is love, but not like I understand it as an Irish guy from, you know, from the 20th century. And then... There's the existential philosophers. They say God is the ground of being. God is the name we give to something that we cannot grasp because it's the ground out of which everything arises. And so these are different ways of understanding the word, the word God. And you try to figure that out in your own mind? You, you, you philosophers like you, you try to sit back and figure all that out in your own mind to make it make sense or what? Yeah, although I'm particularly interested in this notion that's in Paul, where, where he has this notion of God as, as I say, this crucified Christ. So I try to figure out what is the meaning of that. As a, as a Christian philosopher, I'm interested in what, is, what does it mean to affirm the crucified Christ and oh, make I sense see. of that, yeah. And you try to figure that out. Yeah, it makes sense. You sit back and think about that. Oh, yeah. I wonder. oh okay. Yeah. Um, do you have perfect peace? I, I, you know, funnily enough, for an Irish guy, because we're, we're fighters, but I've always been very relaxed. My dad was a very chilled guy, so, um, 
thankfully, I, I've got a very peaceful vibe. <laughs> and do you have perfect peace? I mean, I don't take any, I don't have anxiety or anything like that. If, if, yeah, so I'm, I don't do meditation or anything, but I feel very zen. I'm, very, I'm a very zen guy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but you wouldn't say that you have perfect peace? Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, I, feel, I feel like I probably could. Do you that. have anger? Not very. Not, I'm not a very angry guy. I mean, I suppose maybe if you killed my cat. I don't have a cat. Maybe if you bought me a cat and killed it, right. I'd maybe be angry at you. <laughs> so do you get angry sometimes? What's that? Do you get angry sometimes? Uh, I guess so, yeah. You do? I'm, I'm guessing so, yeah. You're not sure? Yeah, I would get angry. I'm trying to think the last time I was angry. Uh, I get angry at some, yeah, some things that are going on politically in the world, yes, I guess so. There's a lot of... But I try to avoid getting into a politics of opposition. I hate oppositional thinking where you create an enemy. I try to see everybody as a neighbor, not an enemy. How do you, as a philosopher, how do you deal with that emptiness? You know, sometimes you, when you're alone, you feel like something's missing within yourself, something's wrong. How do you figure that out? Yeah. So for me, that's central to Christianity. Yeah, is that, is that for me, all of us are try, our natural state is to find some way to fill some gap, what Pascal called the God-shaped hole. Right. Um, and we frantically, whether it's from money or fame or religion, try to fill that gap. My, what I do with my religious community is look at how Christianity helps us to enjoy that lack, to enjoy the conflict, the sacrifice, to not try to fill it, to be comfortable with that, with that space that you're talking about. So that's very central to my work is we can actually enjoy not having, not, not you know, there's a frenetic pursuit of things that we actually have to be freed from. Oh, I see. Yeah. So you can be comfortable with that emptiness. Mm -hmm. You have a PhD in post-structural thought. Oh, yes. What is post-structural <laughs> <laughs> How do you get a PhD in it? Yeah. So I went to a university called Queen's University in Ireland. Uh -huh. And post-structural thought is really, um, so it's in continental philosophy, and it's the study of language and the study of um, the underlying structure. So, for example, see in chess, I, I don't know if you play chess, I play chess, and the pieces um, all represent different characters. Right. But if you lose one of the pieces, you can just take a button and put it on the board, and it will represent a pawn. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, Post-structuralism and structuralism are like, with something like Christianity, there's all of the imagery, but what's important is the grammar, what's important is the underlying rules. So what I study with Christianity or with any myth or story is what's the underlying truth. So for example, in Christianity, the, I would say the underlying structure is a critique of scapegoat mechanisms. So whenever you look at Christianity, there's this idea that we take our lack, our darkness, our hatred of others, we put it onto a scapegoat, we blame somebody else and we say they're guilty. And in Christianity, we discover that when we take all of our lack and we put it onto Christ, we realize he's innocent. That we're projecting all of this darkness within ourselves onto somebody else and saying they're the problem. And we are faced with the idea that actually, oh my goodness, that's me. I'm, that's, the, that's my stuff that I've put on. 
Now, this happens every day, like with this thing called Karens, which I, I found out recently where people, people put in their own intolerance and hatred and find a group that they can project all of that onto and make fun of some other group. Some people who maybe are nasty or just having mental health issues or are just having a stressed day. So we project all of our own intolerance and our own dislike onto a group. We say they're the bodies, and that makes us feel better. And for me, Christianity, structurally speaking, is saying, no, 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 you can't do that. All that stuff you're putting onto them, that's your way of getting rid of your own intolerance. You've got to face that in yourself. And so you study different religions. You think about, because in the world there are different forms of yes, different. Christianity, different forms. And you sit back and think about those things yeah. and try to make them all work. Well, no, funny enough, so one is I'm a practitioner first, so I actually, and I'm within Christianity, so I set up Christian communities. And uh, I'm not a universalist. I think all religions are doing different things. Right. So my interest is in what's, un what, what's unique about Christianity. And again, coming back to it, is this notion that only in Christianity do you have a God that dies. And uh, St. Paul first brings that idea into the world. Then Luther makes it into a theological concept. And then the philosopher Hegel raises it to the dignity of philosophy. He makes it into a philosophical concept. And here's the kicker. Nietzsche then says it's an existential thing. Everybody has to go through the death of God. So Nietzsche and St. Paul are part of this trajectory of seeing something important in this concept. So it's, it's almost like, by the way, it's like a band. If you're, I'm, I like U2. If I'm into U2, I'm not really into the music that sounds like every other band. I'm interested in the music that sounds like U2, the music that, that's, that's their music. In the same way with Christianity, I'm not interested in the things that Christianity shares with everybody else. Like there's mm -hmm. loads of them, love your neighbor, belief in God's a biggie, all of that. I'm interested in what does it say that is utterly unique. That's the, that's the interesting stuff. It sounds like you believe that God died. Yeah. You believe God died. Yes, or that, and, that that means something. Yes, that we can unpack that. That and, means something. And so you believe that you believe that Jesus was God or is God? Yeah. Now, what I do, by the way, so when I approach Christianity, right. it, I approach it like a psychoanalyst with a dream. If you come to me with a dream... I take it as all true. You tell me your dream, you were chasing a bus, you couldn't catch it on your way to work. I'm a literalist, I'm a fundamentalist, I believe everything in your dream is true because it speaks of something deep in your subjectivity. However, I completely bracket out whether historically there was a bus you were chasing. That's irrelevant, I don't care about that. So in the same way, when I approach Christianity, I'm a fundamentalist, right. I take it all as absolutely true. But as to whether anything's historically accurate or not, it's, that's irrelevant to me. So in a sense, whenever Paul says, you know, God died, I go, what does that mean? Let's take it completely seriously. Let's say it's completely true. What does it mean? And I think it means, because here's the crazy thing, right? The very moment that Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The temple curtain rips. So can I give you my, here, I, will, I want to do this for you because you're a pastor. Can I give you my reading of what I think's happening? And yes. then you tell me what you think. Absolutely. Okay. Tell me whether I'm a heretic or not. Okay. Tell me whether I'm <laughs> saved or not, okay? <laughs> um, so the Bible starts off with an Oedipal story. So the story of Oedipus, as you probably know, is this guy wants to sleep with his mother. 
His dad gets in the way, says, you can't sleep with your mother. He doesn't know it, but gets in the way. Oedipus kills the father, ends up with his mother, and it's an absolute disaster, right? Now, Freud loves that story because the mother is a symbol of oceanic oneness, wholeness, going back to the womb, right? The mother is a symbol of you getting everything you want. And then the father is the symbol of what gets in the way. So the story is basically the idea of fulfill your dreams so that you can realize the abject horror of them, right? It's going like, if you actually get everything you want, it, it won't be good, right? Now, the story of Adam and Eve is an eatable story. Adam and Eve walking around the garden, there's a piece of fruit. If they eat this, they will be like God. They will lack the lack. They will know knowledge of good and evil. There's a prohibition. They break through the prohibition. They get the apple, they eat it, and it's an absolute disaster, right? Now, the interesting thing for me is that story sets up a very basic structure of human psychology, which is we're depressed if we don't get what we want, and then when we do get it, like the, the actor who gets everything they want, it's even worse, the person right. who wins the lottery. And the serpent is the superego. So the superego for Freud is the ones always saying, you just have to get that. You get that job, and then everything will be great. So the serpent is saying, you just eat that piece of fruit, everything's going to be great. Right. Now, grace is the technology of exorcism. Grace is saying you don't have to do anything. Grace is this incredible technology that exorcises the superegoic serpentine injunction. Now, the reason why I'm saying all of that is the Temple of Jerusalem is like the setup of this. You've got the Court of Gentiles, everybody can hang out. You've got the Holy of Holies, that's the place where God is. And you've got a massive curtain, right? And just like a mag magician's stage, right? And at the very point when Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The temple curtain rips. We see in the Holy of Holies where certainty and satisfaction and the absolute exists. There's nothing there. It's just a bare room. So that's the, the nihilistic moment of conversion where you realize that, that the thing that makes you whole and complete doesn't exist. But then there's the third part of the trick. And you realize, oh, because God is in the community of people who give each other in love to one another. So now the sacred is not an object that you grasp, but the sacred is discovered in the very work of love itself. Interesting. So you, I want to go back to, you believe that Jesus is God? In the, theologically speaking, yes. You yeah. believe that? Well, and I believe it in the sense of that if you take God as absolute reality and you say that, that Christ is God, then like, just like if I took a story of uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, I'm totally in the story of Sherlock Holmes. Whether Sherlock Holmes exists or not is irrelevant. I'm right. taking it as completely true in the logic of the story, and I'm saying, what's the truth of the story? So in that way, yes. So what I hear you say, yes, you believe Jesus is God. Yes, in the same way as Sherlock Holmes, yeah. And when Jesus said to the Father, why have thou forsaken me? You believe he was talking to himself? I believe, yes, that in the narrative, this is him experiencing, God experiencing a forsakenness by God. Yes, this is kind of within the logic of the divine. Yeah. So you believe that when Jesus said to God, the Father, why have thou forsaken me? That was God saying to God, why have thou forsaken me? Yeah. Yes, really? yeah. And you figure that out in your philosophy stuff? I think it's, it's plain in the Bible. It's right there. You just quoted it. 
And that you, makes you sense up. to you. <laughs> That's crazy. You're mad. I don't. <laughs> that makes sense to you. Yeah, and you know why? Well, how do you or do you want to say what what you think about it first? Yeah, or well, I, I will, but I'm just okay. trying to figure this out. You're very good, by the way. Front. You care more about what other people think than saying what you think. I respect that. It's a very oh, good thank thing. you. And so you think that the father was saying to the father, "Father, why have thou forsaken me?" Right? Yeah. And so you think the father left himself. So basically, what I would say is this: is this, and this sounds weird, but I'll, I'll unpack it. Is that this statement of God experiencing the a lack in God is a type of quantum indeterminacy. So within, say, quantum mechanics, there is this notion that reality is not at one with itself. So the double slit experiment, where light acts as a wave or a particle, depending on how it's observed. In politics, it's called democracy. Democracy is the non-at-oneness of the social body that generates civilization. Uh, in biology, it's called evolution, which is the non-at-oneness of the biological organism with itself that generates complexity. Um, in mathematics, it's called incompleteness theorem, where, which is the non-at-oneness of mathematics that generates itself. So in, all of these are different ways of saying that reality is divided with itself. They're all expressions of Christianity. So, these modern notions in science of evolution, of quantum indeterminacy, of mathematical incompleteness are just scientific ways of saying that reality is not at one with itself. And that idea comes from the Christian tradition. I, I notice that you say a lot of words with <laughs> no meaning. <laughs> and, and in your I saying, warned you, I warned you. <laughs> and, and in your saying... Do people pretend that they understand? <laughs> well, it takes a long time, and, and, and sometimes I don't even know if it makes sense. But this is, stuff, this is the problem with philosophy. Well, what I'm trying to figure out, okay. when you're saying all this stuff, yeah. are people nodding and pretending and mm. amen as though they understand? Yeah. They do do that? Well, give, here, give, I'll give you an example of what I just said. I Save know, but give me, give me an answer to okay. that first. When you were saying all this stuff, yeah. In response to a question, mm. a simple question, and you're saying all this, and the people go, "Amen, right on." They are acting as though they understand what you're saying, right? Yeah, right. Acting, maybe acting, maybe real. <laughs> I don't know which. <laughs> Not many people say "Amen" to me. <laughs> and and when they're pretending that they understand, do yeah. you know that they they are not understanding what you're saying? <laughs> Sometimes a little bit of glaze in the eyes. Yeah, and so you me. know that they're not understanding. Uh, yeah. And do you be understanding what you're saying to that question? Yeah, so I and I would love to unpack this. This is what and by the way, I have a friend who's a radio guy in in the UK and he doesn't have me on the show because he says like says this it takes too long to unpack. But the thing with podcasting is we've got more time to unpack. So, for example, when I say to you that in Christianity you have a critique of the scapegoat mechanism. But what I want to do, I want to go back to okay. you believing that God, Jesus is God. And when God said, when Jesus said to the Father, Father, why have thou forsaken me? You're saying you believe that the Father left himself. Uh, yeah, I'm saying that there is a truth being expressed in that statement. Yes. And how does that make? How do you figure that? How do you make make that make sense to yourself? Yes. 
So basically, the, and the no, thoughts that you get about are you getting them out of your head so that they can make sense to yourself? Yeah. Oh. How, so how do I make sense of it? Well, so the core of my work, and whether it's right or wrong, forget about that, but the core of my work is that we think that, that God or the absolute or ultimate reality, call it whatever you want, is undivided, as in there's something out there that's perfect, whole, and complete. And the secular form of this is commodity satisfaction or psychedelic enlightenment or sexual liberation or techno-salvation. There's something out there that will make me whole and complete. And I say that when you identify with Christ, you identify with one who experiences incompleteness, who experiences a, an internal forsakenness. And so when you identify with Christ, you're freed from this frenetic pursuit of wholeness because even God wasn't whole. Even God experienced conflict. Even God experienced forsakenness. And Why so, would you think that God experienced conflict? Because of this very thing you quoted, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This experience of internal conflict that's central to Christianity. But when Jesus said that he's the son of the father, was he saying, I'm the father of the father? I'm the, I'm the, the, son of I'm the daddy of the son and the son of the daddy. Well, when he said, I'm the son yeah. and the, of the father and the father that I one, the father is with me. What did he mean by that? Yeah, so I would go with the basic Trinitarian idea that God is not God is not one or three God is a not at one so God I mean I, you know this is is it it's not that you say there's three persons and it's not that there's one there is a, a type of not at oneness within God that's how I would have you that. ever considered that in all your philosophy thinking and figuring and all that that you cannot figure out the things of God and so you just come up with what you get and make it sound real yeah, in fact, I think it's central to, to even religion in general that there's something about the word God that you cannot grasp. Anselm said this. He said that, that the very definition of God is that you cannot define God. So you could be wrong with the Father being the Father and Jesus not being the Son and all that. You could be wrong about that, right? You could be wrong about everything, my goodness, yes. But, oh, okay. oh, yeah, about everything. You know? um, so you're not, assured, you're not self-assured about your philosophy thinking? Oh, no, I am. I, I'll, if I say I think I'm wrong, that two, or I could be wrong that 2 plus 2 equals 4. I don't think I am. That's, oh, I could be. So I would argue that the philosophy that I explore is a correct way of thinking about reality. Okay. But, but I could be wrong. <laughs> That's why I love having discussions. <laughs> what is post-modernism? Post post how is that different from post-structured thought? Uh, yeah. So post-structuralism is just the academic way of saying postmodernism, And the funny thing is I'm not a postmodernist. So even though I studied it, I have a PhD in post-structuralism, so I understand postmodernism. I'm not a postmodernist. In fact, I'm quite critical of postmodernism. Um, but yeah, they're very linked. So postmodernism is like the popular word. That's what people use on YouTube or whatever. But the, the technical academic term is post-structuralism. Oh, I see. And what does the word modernism mean? Mm. So modernism uh, is connected with the Enlightenment. So it's connected with a certain type of philosophy of reason, of universalism, the idea that we can all have access to the truth, that the modern sciences, we can... Oh, I can and, and I'm more wow, of a modernist. No wonder the world is all messed up. <laughs> so I, yeah, I'm more of a modernist what? than a postmodernist. Yeah. Interesting. Because yeah, postmodernists came in and started saying, well, all of our positions are regional like we don't have all have access to the truth 
you know, I can't speak to you because you, you're black and I'm white, and so we don't have a universal language. You know, that's, I'm critical of that. Oh. I want to say we can all access the truth. And where the nihilism, or ism, nihilism, 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 where does that fit in with all this false, all this other stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you say false other stuff, all this false prophecy? No, I thought it said post stuff. Um, yeah, post so, stuff, not false. But. Oh, yeah, I know. Um, nihilism, yeah, it's just the belief in that there is no meaning to reality. And most philosophers are trying to overcome nihilism. So, yeah, it's kind of like, so that nihilism is, the, is that moment where you experience a profound lack of meaning in reality. But I believe you have to go through that. I believe that's an experience we all have to, to go through. You went through that? Yeah. You were yeah. nihilism at one time? Kind of experienced, the, yeah, experienced a, a loss of meaning, but it was a positive loss of meaning. That was my conversion, actually. I realized that everything I valued all of the things symbolically that I wanted meant nothing. So it was this moment of pure subtraction, pure nihilism. Amazing. How old were you when you decided or knew that you wanted to get into, uh, become a philosopher? Yeah. How, long, how old were you at that time? I was in my 20s at the time, yeah. And what happened that made you think that that's what you wanted to do? Yeah. So at the time... I wanted, I'd, I'd had this conversion experience. I was part of a church and I thought, I want to try to reflect on what had happened. And I thought philosophy, and I had no education. I dropped out of school at 16, no qualifications. And I thought, I want to start trying to figure out what happened to me, why, what was this transformation? And so that's what got me onto philosophy. Oh, I see. Yeah. Have you ever considered at all that this idea of the father being the that Jesus being the father and the father and the father and the father left himself, that they could possibly be wrong. Have you ever said, you know what, this problem doesn't make any sense? Yeah, the thing is, that idea of 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 God being not at one with God's self, right? Which sounds very abstract. So that sounds like what what does that mean? Was, well, but, God is at one with Himself, but. He and Jesus were not the same person. Yeah. Have you ever considered that? Yeah, but that's what I argue against. Exactly. I know this because relig the religious worldview is that there is a oneness, a wholeness. New Age philosophy is the same and confessional Christianity. There's a, there's a wholeness, an undivided nature of reality that, that we come from and that we can go back to. But that's what I'm saying that I reject. Is, I, yeah. is there a difference between faith and nihilism? Yeah. What's the difference? So I'm very, I follow the philosopher Kierkegaard on this. So for him, faith is the ability to hold um, contradictory positions. So faith is like Abraham, who, who's going to kill his son, but believe his son won't die. Faith is being certain of something you cannot see, right? So faith is this experience of embracing this chaos, this, and, and flowing within this, um, within this thing that we're talking about, this not at oneness, being able to be tolerate that, that's faith for me. The okay. life of faith is the life of experiencing cr crucified Christ. You are, as a Christian, you are a Christian. Yeah. Have you been born of the Father? Yeah, I, so like born again. Yeah, yeah I, and I love this term because you don't experience birth, but birth is what allows you to experience. So I don't experience my life. My life is what allows me to experience. And at 17 years old, I experienced a type of rebirth. So not a religious experience. Because people think a religious experience is something you feel, like taking drugs or something. 
But as you know, a religious experience isn't something you feel, it's what transforms how you experience everything. It transforms how you interact with the world and with each other. And yes, at 17, I experienced that, that type of event in my life. It was incredible. Um, but born, a, born again is, a, um, is an awakening within. Yeah. Where you are awakened by the light of the Father within you and you start to be separated from the darkness of the imagination. Do you believe that your thoughts are dark? Yeah. yeah that they're I, from the prince of darkness? Yeah, I, mean, I actually heard you, I was watching something you were speaking on the other day in preparation for this, and I heard you talking about this. I love that. I, that's my thing about why people say, oh, I know what I believe. I'm transparent to myself. We don't know what we believe, and a lot of our beliefs are in darkness, and a lot of our beliefs control us without us even knowing it. You know, so, so you believe that your thoughts are uh, of darkness? That if you mean in darkness as in not transparent to ourselves, right. then yes, I, yeah, absolutely. It's so very... why would you trust them in your philosophy thinking and trying to figure out things? Why would you trust the darkness? Yeah, yeah. Why do you trust the darkness? To believe that you're, you can sit there and try to figure it out and it convinces you that you're right in what you figured out Knowing that the thoughts are of darkness, why would you trust that? Yeah, I mean it's very difficult. That's a, to, you have to think very, very carefully. So, <laughs> it, like, so it's like a scientist does very careful double-blind tests and does this so that so that you don't go astray. So logic is the attempt to not go astray and thinking because yeah, I think we go we go astray all the time. That's why I, I try never to talk about things I am not an expert in because. I'll, I will just go off in self-deception and I'll think I'm an expert when I'm absolutely not. It's very difficult what you're describing. It's, it's, so it's, it's, the philosopher goes step by step very carefully. Yeah, it's very difficult. So when the philosopher is sitting back thinking, he knows that his thoughts are of darkness, but he tries to, in his mind, go step by step through the darkness? Just like a, like, like a biologist or a physicist, yes, going like, oh, we you know, don't understand the world, we can make mistakes all over. Yes, step by step, very carefully. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. It's very difficult, and you can be led astray left, right, and center. Yeah. Is it, so it is possible that you've been led astray about what you think about God? Although, here's the thing, if I say God is beyond understanding, and then I'm led astray by that. That means God is not infinite and beyond understanding. So the, for me, the, the idea that God, the, the word God, defines a reality that we cannot grasp is, is a claim to truth. If I'm self-deceived about that, then God is understandable and God would just be an idol. So you said that you are born of the Father? And could you unpack that for me? Because I think I would say that, but I'm, I'm not... You know how... God said that we, have, uh, we were born twice, once of the mother yeah. and then once of the father. You were born of your mother, right? Yeah. You were. As far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> she says it. Did you ever overcome her? Uh, in what way? Like, oh, as a differentiate, become my own individual? Yeah. Did you overcome your mother or do you still have her qualities? Uh, 
I would say, I'm Irish. We're all so connected with her. That's why Jesus was Irish, because he stayed with his mother till he was 30, <laughs> and she thought he was God, right? Um, so, yeah, but no, I've pretty much separated from my mother, I think. But I've still got some of her qualities, I guess. You do? Like I what? So. I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to ask my friends. I'm, so, um, I'm probably more like my dad, maybe. I'm not sure. But you do have some of your mother's qualities? Yes, absolutely, I'm sure. And yeah. what are they? Um, well, she's... Uh, well, she's a very caring and loving person. I don't want to say that I'm that, but I hope that some of her care and some of her love has, has rubbed off on me. What is caring and loving about your mother? Um, you know, she's very personable, looks out for people, will, will, if someone's in trouble, cook them meals, invite them around, kind of. She's a, a caring soul, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> you should meet her. <laughs> And so as a kid growing up, why did this caring and loving mother get on your nerve at times? Oh, I'm sure she did. I'm sure I got, I got on her nerves more, I'm sure. But why would a caring and loving mother get on your nerve as a kid if she's so caring and loving? Yeah, because, you know, we're complex people. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, we've had, we've had a few. I'm sure we've had a few conflicts in our days. But I love conflict. I'm Irish. I love Israel means to fight with God. That's why the Jewish are Irish because the Irish love a good fight, even with God. So yeah, so it's in our blood. If I didn't fight with my parents, that would be weird. Are your parents <laughs> Christians? Um, you know, my dad is a very devout, quietly devout man. Is there a hell? Um, yeah, you know, for me. The hell is the complete outside. It's the place of complete outside. outsideness. It's the trash of the world. And for me to be a Christian is to identify with the outside. So to be, to be a Christian and is to, in some sense, like Mother Teresa said, to identify not with heaven, but with hell. To be found in hell. To be there to preach the good news, to help people. That's what Mother so, Teresa said? She said, well, she said, if I ever I was to be made a saint, you will not find me in heaven. I will be outside guiding the way. Where so is Mother it. Teresa now? I don't know. She's dead. She did. She's is she dead. in hell? Don't, I don't know. It's above, that's above my pay grade. <laughs> I don't know what happens after you die, my goodness. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out is life possible before you die. That's the Christian thing. That's right. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. So do you think you will die one day? Yeah. And when you die, where will you go? I don't know, but here's the thing, right? If eternal life is, is just longevity, we'd all, heaven would be thousands of people screaming for death. Eternity must mean a transformation in the way we live now. It's not merely longevity. So I'm neutral about the longevity. For me, salvation is a transformation in the moment. That's what eternal life is. There's an eternal transformation right here, right now. Not well, just will a, you, will you, do you believe that you will physically die one day from Earth? I don't know. I've got that's. I mean, yes, definitely. I'll definitely die. We all die. You I don't think there's any. From Earth. I don't think there's anything after death for oh. us. Oh, so when yeah. you die physically from Earth, what will happen to you? Well, I'd be surprised if anything happened. I just die. You just like, everybody die. Believe that. <laughs> yeah, you just die. Yeah. I so mean, you well, don't believe you will go to hell or heaven. I mean, there's life after death, as in people will live after I've gone, all that. But yeah, no, I, I would be surprised if I woke up somewhere. But, so you, know. you don't believe <laughs> that you would go to heaven or hell? No, do you? No, Matthew. Oh, yeah, well, no, well, no but I think that that's the more, just, yeah, of course. Well, I'm a European, so this idea of heaven and hell and God are more, 
we're, we're more, find those ideas that more difficult. Are you a guilty person or an innocent person? As in, do I feel, experience guilt? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not, re not really, thankfully. So are you innocent? In what way? Like, Any way at all? Are you innocent, period? Not completely innocent, I'm sure. I've done yeah. bad things in my time. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love, yeah. This is great. Yeah. So what? I'm enjoying this line of questioning. This is good. <laughs> this is great. I'm definitely not innocent. I'm trying to think. Don't, don't ask me to confess my sins right, on, no, on, on the, to the camera. Absolutely. Um, Do you sin? Uh, okay, so that's a theological concept. Can I give you the definition of what I think sin is? Yeah, because of time, it needs to be short, but yes. Okay, okay. Well, very quickly. Some philosophers go on and I know on, and on and you forget on. what they, the question was. Yeah, I know. So very quickly, sin for me is not like being bad or anything like that. It's much more, it's about, sin means lack and absence. So for me, sin is this experience of lack. And sinful activity is anything you do to try to fill the lack. Any, whether it's having kids or doing drugs. Anything you do to frantically fill the lack. And what I am about is freedom from that frenetic pursuit. So, so for me, that's what sin is. Sin is the, the pursuit of something to fill the lack. So do you sin? Um, I feel that I'm mostly free from that frenetic pursuit. I'm not looking for something to fill the lack. So, so do you sin? Um, yeah, occasionally I look for things like money or fame that will fill that lack, and that would be sin. So if I do that occasionally, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, is there one truth? Yeah, I believe truth is just one. Like one two truth. plus two equals four. There's no other way of saying that. That's just the and truth. And does truth. each person have their own truth, or is there one truth? No, I'm a universalist. There is one truth. One truth. You know? Okay. Yeah. So i got to move faster, so i got to ask you about politics. Okay. Are you a communist or a... Uh, 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 do you I, believe in communism? No. Like, so Are you I, a socialist? Um, I'm very drawn to a form of European socialism, but not the American form. I'm anti this identitarian politics. I'm not into that stuff at all. I'm more with the right, actually. People on the right who critique that, I'm more in line with. So you are a socialist. You're just a European socialist? Yeah. So for me, yeah, a lot of the woke stuff is capitalist. So it's like... A, it's Amazon, it's Twitter, it's Facebook, all embracing this ideology. Socialism is about the working class, about, about, about wages, about getting people to be able to pay their rent, all of that. But just for me to know, are you a, you're a socialist, you're just a European socialist, not an American socialist? I would, basically, what yes I would say, no to that. well, no in the sense of like, I'm influenced by Marx. I've read Marx. I've read, obviously read Marx? Marx, yeah. Karl Marx? Yes. As in what the? Uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, we all read him back in Europe. You have to, as a philosopher, yeah, you no, have they to do read, read him. I and... just found out that he, he's taught in the schools over there in a heavy yeah, way. Yeah, and, and that's the problem here, is that because people haven't read him, they think that all of this capitalist woke stuff is Marxist. It's not. Marx is all about um, universalism. But Karl Marx was a wicked man. He was so evil that even his folk star he would possess. Even what, sorry? His people, his family, his father, mother. Karl Marx was so easy, evil, he hated Christianity, totally hated it, right? And so he was so evil, his parents thought that he would possess. But you know what he said about religion? Isn't that true, though, about no. him? No. Here, here's what he said about religion. I'll about put him. him. Religion is the I know, but is that a... true about him? No. Is I can quote him. I can quote him. Are you saying that his parents did not think he was wicked? Oh, he was I have presents. no idea about his parents. I've only read his books. I, I'm not interested in his, his, bi his biography. Like, you How know, could you follow Karl Marx knowing that he hated Christianity? 
behave God. He said very beautiful things about Christianity. He said, religion is the cry of an oppressed people, the heart of a heartless nation, the soul of a soulless condition. That's beautiful. He said, he said it's the opiate of the people. In other words, it takes away their suffering. He then said, however, but you can't just... You can't just... quote Karl either. How you quote Satan. <laughs> Is that right? Is that right? Well, so here's Karl Marx's main point, and then tell me the satanic bit of it. His main argument is that people are alienated from their work. So you will work, and even if you're well paid, you spend most of your day doing something you don't necessarily believe in. We're lucky because we do what we love. But he and also most believed that there was no God. No, but I'm talking about the central, like you're talking about, like you too, whenever I said about you too, the, the stuff that makes him who he is, that's the interesting well, stuff. Well, Satan made him who he was because yeah. he had so much hatred in his heart. But I gotta ask, <laughs> okay. do you support abortion? Um, it's not something I think about. Uh, do I support I think it's probably a very painful thing for people to have to do. I'm not, but I've never thought about it. It's not a, an issue I think about. But now that I've asked, do you support abortion? As in, I think it's a good thing. I don't think anybody thinks it's a good thing. I don't think abortion is a good thing. But do you support abortion? Support it as in think it's a good thing? Or do you support it as in legally? And I think, I suppose my answer would be democratically, if you're in a country that democratically decides on that, I'll, I would, as, a, as a democratic person, I would accept that. So you support abortion? Yeah, in, the, in that. But, but I would also, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think a woman has the right to chill? to kill a man's baby in the womb? Um, so, yeah, when is a... What do I think about that? My goodness, I've never really thought... Because like, it's not something that's... I don't have kids. I've never been married. So I've never thought about this. Um, but, yeah, if it's in a, in a country... Yeah, I, I guess it's a woman's choice. Is yeah, it right that a woman should kill a man's baby in her womb? Um, is it right that a man... Is it the man's baby? Is there so many things about that statement that's weird? So it's the man's baby. It's not the woman's baby either. It's the man's baby. Is it right that the woman should kill the man's baby in, the, in her womb? Uh, if the two of them, you know, and a, a, the couple, a couple agree on it, I don't know, yes. I, I probably, I'm not, I'm not a fan of abortion. I don't think anybody is. But I, I think that, a, that in a country... That's democratically decided. So that's is okay. it right that a woman should kill a man baby in her room? I think it's right. I don't want to say it's right, um, but I could see how, yeah, I'm fine about abortion as a, as a, uh, so a necessary evil. A necessary Are you difficulty. fine about abortion as a necessary evil? Um, like, I would never probably want to encourage someone I know. But you're just fine with it otherwise? As a necessary evil. It's one of those areas where, because I haven't thought about it, and you're getting me to think about something that I haven't thought you're about. You're a philosopher. Never... You're supposed to think about these things. I know, but that's not... See, because you're asking about when is a baby a human being? When is it... So that's the question. That's the last way a philosopher I can't, I can't because we're out of time, and I want to... I have... no. Oh, I know. I know. But, but that's, I just want to know, were you fine with... You, you think that it's right for a woman to kill a man's baby in her womb? Um... I, you see, it's, it is the issue with the question. But yes, but yes, ultimately, if you're saying that I'm pro-choice, I'm pro-choice. Is homosexuality normal or abnormal? All sexuality is abnormal. So homosexuality, is that abnormal? All sexuality is abnormal. My How sexuality is abnormal. homosexuality, is that The only abnormal? people who can have proper sex are animals. They, they mate. 
we have to do all sorts of fantasies, okay. do all sorts of crazy things. How about things. homosexuality? Is that abnormal? Uh, no more abnormal than anybody else's sexuality, no. Just one, one more time with that. Is homosexuality abnormal? No abnormal. more abnormal. Is it abnormal or normal? But if I think all sexuality is abnormal, I can't answer that. But, but all sexuality is abnormal. All sexuality. No, but it's, it's, so it's normal if you define all sexuality as normal. Yes, it's normal. Do you love white people? What's that? Do you love white people? Not all of them. Depends. Individuals. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't like, I don't pick races that I like or dislike. Do you love white people? I don't pick races. I don't love a race. I don't know how you can love a race. Except abstractly, I, go, I, I want to abstractly love people, but no, individuals. I'm not, I don't look at people's race. And Do you go, believe racism exists? Um, in people's heads, uh, some people dislike people because of how they look, the colour of their eyes, all of that. But um, I think it's a very primordial evil thing. Yeah. Do you believe racism exists? Yeah, and the, the predominant one in America is Orientalism, where you see one race is better than your own. Yes, that's racism. I think that's very prominent. Do you today. love the Great White Hope? What's that? Do you love the Great White Hope? Who's the Great White Hope? Oh, <laughs> is that who I think you mean? Who's <laughs> it? <laughs> Are you talking about Trump? Yes. <laughs> I, well, I'm very critical of the Democratic Party. I was very critical of uh, uh, Clinton, very critical of Biden. So, um, but I don't do party politics. So... But I, but I mean very critical. No, I'm just asking, do you love Donald Trump? <laughs> no, I don't love or hate him. I, I always thought the derangement against him was always weird. I think, I, I never understood why people overly hated him. I, I disagree with him on political issues. What is never, a man? What's that? You never did answer, though. Do you love him? I don't love him. But you I'm, don't love Donald Trump? But I don't know him. How can I love him? You have to know him in order to love him? Yeah, no, I don't love him. I don't love him or hate him. You I don't find him interesting. I find him very funny. <laughs> uh, but you don't love or hate him? Uh, no. What is a man? What is a man? That's it. That's it. Like biologically, in terms of chromosomes, or like the spirit of a man? What's the spirit of a man? What is a man? If I hear you saying, what's the spirit of a man? Someone who, is, who is, embraces conflict, uh, who, like Israel, who fights, who wrestles, who finds productive meaning in that, but that's for men and women. I, for my, my, my power of theology is all about helping people embrace conflict, embrace sacrifice, embrace strength. Maybe, is that what you mean by a man? Because then I like it. Okay. <laughs> so I've got to put you on the hot seat. Okay. I am on the hot seat. You haven't put me off the hot seat from when I sat down. This is hot as anything. <laughs> so I need you to answer these questions as quickly okay. as possible. All right? I've got to put you on the hot seat. That is not allowed. Go for it. <laughs> Do you support open borders? Uh, no, I don't think anybody does. No. Is America the greatest country in the world? Uh, just like a parent thinks their kid's the most beautiful kid in the world, some people, yes. Is it so, possible to have perfect peace? Um, yeah, as long as you embrace conflict as well. Are you an alpha male or beta? Beta! <laughs> if alpha's about, and I'm from Ireland, I love a fight. If alpha men are people who love a good fight, then, then maybe that's what I am. Uh, do you smoke pot? Uh, I have, but not, it doesn't really do anything for me. You say so you have I, smoked? I have smoked in the past. Did you inhale? <laughs> yes, I did. I, only when I came to L.A., because everyone's into it here. Nobody does it in Ireland. Right. Alcohol's the drink we do. It's the drug we do. Is uh, CNN fake news? Oh, yes, yeah, terrible. Do you support the Second Amendment? Uh, is that the right to bear arms? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, that seems good to me. I don't mind it. Yeah. Who has more privilege, black people or gay people? Um, that'd be too hard to answer. Did you vote for Joe Biden? I didn't vote. 
is the Illuminati real? Uh, as in, are there powerful elites? Well, no, because I don't think, I think the powerful elites couldn't even organize a piss up in a brewery. You know, the most powerful people in the world are idiots. Did you have fun? I had so much fun. <laughs> but did you have fun? I don't uh, think you're even going to put this out. I think you're getting so frustrated at these philosophy answers that you were about to stand up and walk out. <laughs> no, I, I totally do my myself. This is so much fun, man. T I love this. Tell the folks how they can get to you know, your books and your writings yeah. and hear your speeches. Loads of like stuff free online. Lots of stuff on YouTube. Um, uh, I've got some books out there, but there's loads of free stuff. So just type in Peter Rollins, not Henry Rollins, Peter Rollins, and you'll find me. Well, thank you so much for coming on, yes, man. Thank you so much. This, is, this has been wonderful. I totally enjoyed it. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Amazing. Appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in. I totally, totally, totally appreciate it. Don't forget to check out our merch, uh, support what we're doing here. Um, like, follow, tweet, ring the bell. You can ring my bell. Ring the bell and let me hear from you. Thank you, folks. I appreciate it. Next time on The Fallen State. There's been a huge global fear campaign for over 18 months now. At the moment, they're trying to what, turn the, the, the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. Why are the Western countries allowing this to happen? I think some of it is complacency, and I think now it's so it's so easy to stay alive. People are killing themselves, turning on each other, turning on their own country, and all of a sudden people are talking about white supremacy now. How? There's no logic behind it. It doesn't make sense. And so you ended up in Saudi Arabia. I loved it, man. The community we lived in was fantastic. Wonderful people, clean safe. Schools are really good. I was a little bit late to, to this appointment. And I knew you would be. Right? My producer said, no, he's a professional. I'm like, no, <laughs> Well, I identify as a woman, so I went. I broke the British women's deadlift record, and um, I'm the champ. What's important to you? God, family, friends, helping people. for watching the Father State. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe. Support my nonprofit at rebuildingdemand.com and tell everybody and their mama about the show. <laughs> that was brilliant. Oh, that was funny. Portion. <laughs> oh yeah, that was, that was very good. It was fun. It. it was fun. I knew I would like this because you, you see, you're Irish. You're saying because you've got like a good fight. You I'm like your Irish. You've also because nice. you've got a bit of fighting in you, you know. So I love it. I've really enjoyed this match.
even though I'm a dirty oil socialist type, in one sense, I'm actually close to a lot of your concerns. Right I really am, genuinely. And I think there's more connection now between some people on the left and some people on the right yeah. who are concerned about this political yeah. kind of like identity politics stuff. It's a mess. It's yeah. an absolute mess. And I also think that a lot of us care about the same thing, which is we want people to be able to pay their rent and we want people to enjoy their work and all of that. Yeah. So there are interesting connections. Thank you.